Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, Jets fans, and welcome to the Jets Podcast Review Show on 247sports.com. The New York Jets, week six, they have a good, solid win. It was a little ugly, but it was worth it. They defeat the, New- the uh, Indianapolis Colts by a final of 42-34, to and they are now 3-3 three and three after six weeks. Along with Rick Lockland, I'm Daniel Foyer, Steve Rick. You know, this game, as the New York Jets celebrated 50 years of their only Super Bowl championship, led by Joe Namath, this New York Jet team wearing all white, their uh, face guards, not the black face guards, but back to the old days, into the old gray metal face guards, they went out there at MetLife Stadium, and they took out the Colts uh, in a surprising fashion, but at the same time, a great moment as it looked like Sam Darnold has continued to mature. And look, the Jets now riding a two-game winning streak, the first winning streak in the Sam Darnold era. I myself, for once, got a Jets pick correct, although my 16-7 to prediction a la Super Bowl three didn't come true. I mean, this was an absolute shootout, a game in which Andrew Luck threw for four touchdowns. And you think about that. I mean, the likelihood of the Jets winning with Andrew Luck throwing for four scores, the Colts rushing uh, for over 120 yards. If you would have told me before the game that those two things would have happened and the Jets would still outscore and outgun the Colts, I would have said you were crazy. But that's exactly what happened. The Jets were opportunistic on the defensive side of the ball intercepting luck three times, of course, forcing a fumble as well. And Sam Darnold, who is just each week is shown the maturity and growing into his role as the leader on this team. He had one costly interception and one bad throw. Aside from that, 24 for 30, 280 yards passing, passing two touchdowns. This is everything that you could ask for. And I thought Todd Bowles summed it up pretty well in his post-game press conference where reporters asked about what he thought of the game. And he basically said, look, this is a win the Jets would not have earned last year, that they found ways late in games to lose lose the contest or give away leads. And this year, and you're seeing that Jeremy Bates is finally taking the training wheels off the offense. And the one thing that I enjoyed watching was the Jets did not abandon the running game, despite it not working in that first half. And Crowell looked not fully healthy, had the ankle injury, Bilal Powell didn't have as many opportunities as I thought he deserved. But nonetheless, the, nonetheless, the Jets stuck with it. You saw Crowell break off a 20-yard run. Powell had a 16-yard run. And they did just enough in the running game to not be one-dimensional and also keep Andrew Luck off the field. Because, again, if they weren't able to sustain drives and keep that Colts offense off the field, this could have been 55-60 to 60 kind of game. So if you're Todd Bowles and company, you take the wins any way they come. And this certainly was an ugly one at that. Well, let's give the Colts some credit both on offense and defense. Let's give them credit because they knew that you had to stop the running game. You had to stop Crowell. You had to stop Powell. Both had monster games last week against the Denver Broncos. Give them credit. They didn't get a lot of yards. I mean, obviously one or two big chunk runs, but not super chunk, unfortunately. And let's also give credit to the offensive line of the Colts. You know, look, the Jets – when they went into a pass rush, when they tried to blitz to go get Andrew Luck, the offensive line held off the Jets pretty well. Um, you know, look, 95% of the time, 
Andrew Luck was able to complete long yardage passes, but when it really mattered, the Jets found ways to stop the Colts either at the goal line or on the one-yard line, or they intercepted the ball. And speaking about turnovers, Rick, four turnovers for a grand total of 20 points. We got the pick six to start the game. Um, Great job by Jamal Adams to uh, disrupt the throw. He tipped it up in the air. Morris Claiborne returned it for a 17-yard touchdown for an early lead. And then um, another turnover that led into a field goal. Then a third turnover that led to a uh, touchdown by Terrell Pryor that made it uh, 17-13 Jets in the second quarter. And then the Darren Lee interception that did lead to a field goal, but still, though, 20 points all through the four turnovers the Jets forced on the Colts. That is amazing. Yeah, I mean, and look, this is a game in which the Jets – they absolutely had to win. I mean, heading into a game against the Minnesota Vikings where the odds are stacked in Minnesota's favor, you have Kirk Cousins coming to town, John Filippo, who's a terrific offensive coach. That is going to be a very stiff challenge for this Jets defense. And Casey Rogers, who was not uh, calling the plays necessarily, he was actually watching from the box and it looks like he's returned to full health or at least well enough to be able to attend the games. So, you know, for the Jets, again, Todd Bowles said it best. I mean, he would rather this team force four turnovers and give up four passing touchdowns than no turnovers and two passing touchdowns because those type of miscues and forced mistakes by the Jets' defense are game-changing plays. And for to have a place kicker, which we haven't even talked about, in Jason Myers, kick seven field goals. I mean, set the new franchise mark with seven field goals. It's just absolutely incredible. I mean, he going back to the first quarter against the Denver Broncos in week five, he missed a 29-yard field goal that was essentially shorter than an extra point. So I think Jet fans heading into this game, there were some question marks about place kicking. And, and, you know, there's one thing that maybe is a cause for concern for the Jets. Luckily, they had a reliable player to boot through a lot of these field goals. But the Jets were 1-6 in the red zone, and that is not a winning, winning formula. I mean, this game, to me, had a lot of the same makings of that week one performance against Detroit. You got contributions in special teams. Offense played well in the passing and running game. The defense was opportunistic and made plays. And that seems to be a common thread for when this Jet team put, puts points on the board. It's when the defense takes advantage of maybe perhaps an offense's mistake and sets the offense up in scoring position and I think if you're Todd Bowles and company, this, this week in practice, they have to work on short yardage situations as well as inside the red zone because I felt that they did squander some opportunities that this game did get to a bit of a nail-biter down the stretch where, you know, it was a one-score game, finished, of course, 42-34 with Andrew Luck on the field with a chance to tie the game. So, you know, in my mind, the Jets left a lot of plays out there and they still scored 42 points. So there's a lot of positives to take away from this game, but you just hope, and I don't think this will be the case, that Sam Darnold's head will get too big, that some of these guys, uh, Terrell uh, Terrell Pryor, who was not even a factor in the first few weeks of the season, for him to get a touchdown now in consecutive weeks I thought was fantastic. And Jermaine Curse, who was kind of an afterthought in this offense, you know, it was really a star when he arrived via trade from the Seattle Seahawks last season and really helped boost that wide receiving corps. I felt like this year he was vastly underutilized and 
Sam Darnold was able to use him. He was the leading receiver in the game. He spread the ball around well. So for me, again, if I'm going to nitpick, I would look to that inside the red zone for them to improve their play. But aside from that, I felt like this team did everything they could to win the game. And certainly Jet fans are thrilled, especially on the 50th anniversary of Super Bowl III. Absolutely, Rick. Let me give you my opinion um, about some of the complaints you're having. And uh, I do agree with you about that. But what really bothered me yesterday, uh, on Sunday, Spencer Long, the center, poor snaps with the ball. Not once, but twice. Now, obviously, Sam Darnold on the first one, uh, the poor snap by uh, Spencer Long, you know, obviously Darnold threw the interception. But I don't blame Darnold for that interception. I blame Spencer Long for a, long, for a low snap. And it messed up his timing. And then Darnold, obviously you trust Robbie Anderson for going those long balls. But once again, if Spencer Long does not give a low snap on that ball, then obviously we're talking about a much different outcome. And we're not talking about an interception. We're talking about possible first down and maybe more to Robbie Anderson because the ball was underthrown and he was a little flat-footed. The second one by Spencer Long, and that's what really bothered me on that one because, you know, Jets are driving. After the interception, they're driving, and then all of a sudden on a third and two, what happens? A poor snap. A poor snap, once again, by Spencer Long. And Isaiah Crowell is forced to basically jump on top of the ball and the Jets had to go for a field goal. Now, good thing that Jason Myers converted it, but still, though, Rick, that should have been a touchdown drive, and Spencer Long just really, really, uh, he just botched the whole thing up, and he's got to be better than what we saw out of him uh, on Sunday against the Colts. Yeah, I mean, look, and Spencer Long, it looked like he had some kind of has, uh, cast or wrap on his uh, snap hands. So I think that definitely had an impact on some of the snaps not being as clean as possible and some of the quarterback center exchanges being pretty sloppy. But, you know, those are things the Jets can fine tune during the practice week. You would hope that long, that it's not a long term injury to his hand. This is not a problem going forward because the last thing the Jets want to do against a defense the caliber of the Minnesota Vikings is to start turning the football over next week. I mean, I, I can't stress enough how when the Jets stay balanced offensively like they did this week, they're an entirely different offense. I mean, the Jets dominated the time of possession in this game, 38 minutes to 22 minutes, and that was a major determining factor in this game. And they cannot count on, you know, they can't play for field goals. They can't count on Jason Myers to go seven for seven again from field goal range. So they have to fine-tune some of their red zone offense. But, you know, being down Buster screen, of course, with the concussion, you had uh, – Tremaine Johnson, their top cornerback, who was out with an injury as well. And you had Perry Nickerson, who almost came up with an interception. But, you know, after that play in which Jamal Adams had the ball thrown right to him by Andrew Luck on the second play of the game, tipped it up in the air, and Mo Claiborne intercepted and returned it for a touchdown. On the Colts' ensuing play, Perry Nickerson had a ball that basically went right through his hands and hit him in the, mat, mat, uh, the face mask that could have uh, put the Jets up. Maybe it's a pick six, maybe it's 14 nothing. At the very least, it's 10 nothing. 
he did play well. There were a couple penalties that he took and, of course, that dropped interception. But the Jets were shorthanded in that secondary, and I think that was a lot of why you saw Andrew Luck starting to pick on some of those players that maybe wouldn't be regulars, uh, you know, Daryl Roberts and some other guys that, uh, you know, maybe are shifted up the depth chart when they're probably not comfortable in that position. But nonetheless, they made enough plays from an opportunistic standpoint to get their offense back on the field and keep Andrew Luck on the sideline. But that is an interesting storyline to watch heading into next week is getting that secondary healthy because if the Jets want to contain Kirk Cousins, they don't want to get into another shootout with Kirk Cousins where the score is in the high 30s or, dare I say, the 40s again. Uh, that is not going to be a long-term recipe for the Jets to win ball games. So if they're able to get at least Tremaine Johnson and or Buster Screen back, that's going to be a big boost for the secondary to help cover some of those uh, explosive wide receivers, even Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs for the Minnesota Vikings. Absolutely, Rick, and that's the one thing that Jets need to do, get a healthy secondary, and once again, they need to make sure that they go out there and they, com- you know, they completed uh, all 60 minutes, but uh, I agree. It shouldn't have been as close as it looked. Um, as we continue on here on the Jets podcast uh, review show, once again, the Jets defeating the Indianapolis Colts by final of 42-34. to 34. Um, You know, what a game it was today. And once again, uh, some great throws by Sam Darnold. Uh, you know, I agree. Sam Darnold doesn't look like a rookie anymore. Sam Darnold looks like he belongs in the NFL. He looks comfortable right now under center. Sam Darnold is showing. And let me say this, Rick. I I think I've said this um, before the season got underway, or maybe even after the first game of this 2018 season in Detroit. I had a feeling that this kid – is going to be the franchise quarterback that everyone wants. And, you know, some said to me, some friends said to me, don't go overboard, take it easy. You don't know what this kid's going to do. You don't know how he's going to do it, throw it. You know, is he going to be smart enough? Can he handle the pressure? Well, you know what? I think he's proving me right. I think he's proving the doubters right. And right now, Sam Darnold, in his rookie year, is not getting too high on wins. He's not getting too low on losses. Sam Darnold right now is proving in my mind that this kid is the franchise quarterback for this Jets team that has been dying for one probably since Chad Pennington. And you and I see eye to eye on this. I mean, I caught a lot of flack in the New York Jets on 247 Sports Facebook community during the preseason when you saw Sam Darnold for just one single game and the confidence and poise that he showed just gave you every indication that this was going to be the eventual leader and franchise guy on this team. And our colleague, Michael Cohen, who finally stopped talking about baseball and the Yankees actually wrote a pretty interesting article about him shedding that rookie label. And again, I think you and I, Daniel, were ahead of the curve in the fact that we saw a lot of these traits in Sam Darnold. Look, there's no guarantee that it's going to translate to the pro level, but, you know, pardon my French, this suck for Sam campaign, that was going back to the 2016 offseason, if you remember, after the Jets, of course, had that disappointing year. You saw the exodus with Darrell Revis and Nick Mangold and DeBrickashaw Ferguson and David Harris and all these longtime veterans uh, released or leaving the team and the team missing out on the playoffs after a promising 2015 season. 
you started to hear those rumblings about Sam Darnold and that he was a top-flight quarterback franchise material. There were some questions whether he was going to come out of school at USC following the 2016 uh, collegiate season. That didn't come to fruition, and Jet fans kind of forgot about it for a year. But then flash forward to this past season, which oddly enough, they ended up trading with the Indianapolis Colts after getting the number six overall pick. They traded up to number three with the Colts. They gave them a 2018 uh, second rounder as well as their number six overall pick and a future second rounder in 2019. And you, you look at that, and it was a pretty steep price to pay to move up just three spots, but you're already seeing the impact that having a franchise quarterback is having in New York. Uh, you know, you look just look across the league, whether some of the names and faces may change, whether it's uh, the Steelers or the Packers or the New England Patriots, some years the offensive line is good, some years it's mediocre, but when you have a consistent franchise quarterback, you're not going to have those two, three, four win seasons. You're going to be year in and year out, you have at least a puncher's chance to get into the playoffs and make some noise, and I think that's where the Jets want to be, and they're they're slowly building towards that, and this offseason, again, you know, they're still very much, as Todd Bowles said, and also Sam Darrell, in the thick of things, in the AFC wild card chase because they're just one game out. And look, I understand it's six weeks that uh, it's a little premature to talk about playoffs, but at the very least jet fans are going to have some exciting games in the weeks ahead. So the, the jets can stay afloat in that playoff chase, but with $90 million in cap space to spend this off season, and hopefully they address the offensive line and perhaps get a pass rusher in here that can create some havoc on the quarterback. They add those pieces around Sam Darnold and the supporting cast that is already there. I think you should put the rest of the NFL on notice because the Jets are going to be a team that is going to be have to be reckoned with and a legitimate playoff contender, not just for 2019 or 2020, but for the next five to ten years with Sam Darnold leading the charge. Very true, Rick. And one thing about Sam Darnold that I really like is very accurate with his throws. Now, we are seeing every once in a while the, uh, the rookie hiccup. We're seeing him making it times either – Bad throws, bad decisions, or indecisions, especially the one where he got lucky late in that third or fourth quarter where he was in mid-thought, and then all of a sudden he threw it, got tipped, almost got picked off, but it was dropped by the Colts' defense, and that could have been an interception, and the Colts could have driven down the field. So you're going to see once in a while those little rookie mistakes that Darnold's going to do, and hopefully, and you, as you've already seen, he's made the mistake, He's learned from the mistake, he's moved on, and he's back to where he should be. Once again, Rick, Sam Darnold is looking like the franchise quarterback that we both thought that he was going to be, and to be honest, he is. He is the franchise quarterback that we all thought he is going to be and is proving it right in front of our eyes. And, you know, even Frank Wright, who, you know, reading some of his post-game comments, he's, of course, the, the coach, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He said that Sam Darnold, no matter what coverages they threw at him, when they started going, they're predominantly a zone defense. When they played zone defense, Darnold was patient. He was finding the seams in the zone. He was letting his receivers run their routes. And in the case of Robbie Anderson, running some comeback routes or finding a seam route where they could make, create some space. But then when the Colts started trying to adjust and play some man defense, the Jets wide receivers for the first time in a long time were winning a lot of those one-on-one -on -one matchups and getting some separation and getting downfield. And you had a Terrell Pryor, six foot five, 6'5", 
six foot six Terrell Pryor on a smaller defensive back and and basically Sam Darnold's just throwing the ball up for grabs is what you saw in that touchdown play. And he said that Darnold is the player that can make all the throws. He made all the adjustments. He showed the poise and confidence of a veteran. And Frank Wright is not the first opposing coach or player to have said that. I mean, you see uh, defensive backs, even Josh Norman during the Jets joint practices with the Washington Redskins was paying him respect after just watching him for a couple of practices. And, you know, this those are the kind of comments and praise from opposition that you should definitely take to heart and will definitely give you an indication as far as what caliber of player the Jets have at this point in his career and at 21 years old. I mean, the sky is the absolute limit for him, and he's only going to get better and mature and grow in this offense. And I think that, you know, looking back at some of the Jets quarterbacks of past years, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, who had a lightning in a bottle year, or certainly a Mark Sanchez, you were never reading those kind of comments from uh, opposing coaches and players. They didn't pay that kind of respect to the Jets quarterback over the years. And now he's garnering a lot of that attention and recognition. And I think that he's level-headed enough where he's not going to let his head get too big. He's not going to, you know, let his ego get out of control. He seems to be a well-grounded, comes from a good family, has a good understanding, and is all about football. And especially in the pressure cooker that is New York with the media scrutiny and all the things that are going to be thrown at him, I think he's set up to succeed in this type of environment. And for me, it's just refreshing to see a young player that can handle himself with such grace and maturity. I mean, because you look at some of these other young players that come into the league. I mean, uh, if you want to use an example, I mean, even uh, Colin Kaepernick with all the baggage and all the things that he had, Jameis Winston with the off the field incidents, Sam Darnold has kept his nose clean. He's kept his head down and he's done all the work and everything the coaching staff has asked for him. And if you're a Jet fan, look, I know, I know a lot of Jet fans said that, you know, maybe some of the articles I wrote are too giddy or they're, they're premature to talk about playoffs, but when you have a quarterback like Sam Darnold, I mean, you literally can dream about anything because he is that type of leader and that type of player that can take this team and put them on, put them on his shoulders and take them wherever he wants to. Very true. Let's talk about that defense, Rick. Isn't it amazing after an interception thrown by Sam Darnold and then after Quincy Inunua gets uh, the ball stripped out of his hands, forced fumble out of his hands, how big was the Jet defense at the goal line? The Jet defense at the goal line was absolutely huge. To have this Colt team going down the field after the interception to uh, – towards the end of the first and beginning of the second quarter, eight plays, 27 yards for two minutes and 22 seconds for time possession. When the Colts got to the one, got to the half yard line, actually by the jets uh, on first and goal. How about that big hit on Mac? And then he lost the yard to make it second and goal on the jet two. Then they tried it again. They got stopped again on Mac Another one-yard loss to make it third and goal on the Jets' three-yard line. They tried to throw it at Hines, who got stripped, dropped the ball in the end zone. He jumped for it, and then the Colts were forced to punt the. I mean, to get a field goal to tie the game at ten each. And then the next run, and once again, a big third and seven for the Colts and an incomplete pass or, or a, a good hit to knock that ball down and have forced another field goal to make it 13-10 to 10 Colts. And then 
the Jets, who finally started to get uh, a positive momentum, they were able to force a fumble themselves. Jamal Adams, great hit on Mac and uh, excuse me on Turbin, I should say. And Turbin, unfortunately, out of the game. But you know what, though, that led to the next possession for the Jets. That touchdown to Terrell Pryor in the end zone for seven yards. Once again, the Jet defense, when they had to bend but didn't break, that Jet defense stood their ground at their own goal line, forced field goals and not touchdowns after the Colts were able to get the ball back. Yeah, and look, every time the Jets defense was challenged inside that red zone, you mentioned coming up with that the short and goal-to-go situation coming up with a stop. You saw Steve McClendon, the defensive tackle, fly through and, and get Marlon Mack behind the line of scrimmage. Every opportunity the Jets had to make a player to change the possession or to turn the Colts away when they look like they're in prime scoring position, they were able to do that. And if you're Todd Bowles and company, you have to be so pleased with how they performed. And Leonard Williams, you know, the one thing, if you look at the stat sheet, I mean, it's not really reflected, is that the Jets only had two quarterback hits in this game, and both were by Leonard Williams. They didn't sack Andrew Luck throughout the entire contest. But Todd Bowles said that that was going to be part of the Colts' attack, was they were going to have quick throws. They were going to try to stick with the running game, which, to Frank Wright's credit, he even said that was the focus at halftime. Even though the Colts were down by double digits and it looked like the game was getting away from them, the fact that they stayed with the running game and they, they really surprised the Jets, I felt, especially in that third quarter where they had that scoring drive where the only score was Andrew Luck's uh, 10-yard touchdown. They ran the ball in every other play, and I think Todd Bowles and that Jet team, they were in a lot of uh, you know nickel-and-dime defense expecting Col- uh, Luck to start slinging the ball around the field, but instead Indianapolis stayed true to its colors and tried the running game, and they did that with a great deal of success. So I think for both teams, that's why you saw this evolve into a tight contest because both teams were not one-dimensional. They they kept trying to stick with the running game, even though it was ineffective in the first half, and both teams broke out in a big way in the rushing contest in the second half. So, again, the Jets get to enjoy this victory for a day or two. They've got to prepare for Minnesota on Sunday because, again, this Colts defense and offense was completely decimated by injuries. I mean, they had 11 guys that appeared on the injury report throughout the week, and several of them didn't even practice on Friday before this game. So the Jets were playing a Colts team without their top target in T.Y. Hilton. They had a number of injuries. I mean, Eric Ebron was the number one receiver at tight end who is having a renaissance year this year, but up until this season was a disappointment at the NFL level. So uh, they're going to be facing the Jets, that is, a whole new animal against Kirk Cousins and this Vikings offense. Uh, and offense, frankly, that if there's one thing that works in the Jets' favor is that they've been one-dimensional. They were the only team heading into Sunday without a rushing touchdown. And John Filippo seems to be a pass-happy type of coordinator, which when Kirk Cousins is hot and he's, and he's doing all the things he, he's paid to do, it's great. But if the Jets can key in, stop that running game, and force Kirk Cousins to beat them, I think they're going to have as good a shot as any to at least keep this game close and make things interesting in the fourth quarter. One thing uh, we can't forget, though, Rick, is this, is that uh, give credit to the Jets towards the end of the first half um, after they get a field goal to make it 20-13. to 13, Then they force the Colts to punt. And then that big final possession on their own 27-yard line, 
Great grab by Terrell Pryor for 22 yards. And, of course, great 22-yard grab by Jermaine Curse. Spiked the ball, and they get it down to, like, maybe three seconds remaining in the half. And then they kick the field goal to make it at the half, 23-13 Jets. That was a great play. But let's also give credit to Jason Myers. He is now uh, the record holder for the Jets. Seven straight made field goals for the team. That's a new record for the Jets uh, for the kicking game. The league record is eight in a row in a game. Even though he didn't get an eighth one still, Jason Myers, you know what? He's not Nick Falk, but he is reliable and good for him to get that record and seven straight field goals to help the Jets win this ball game. And look, again, this may come down to a field goal kicking contest with the Minnesota Vikings, and the Vikings have had their own place kicking problems over the years. Of course, going back to that game against the Seattle Seahawks a couple of years ago in the playoffs, uh, missing what looked to be 27, 28-yard field goal. So the fact that the Jets are very much in the thick of things in the AFC wildcard chase, they have what looks to be a reliable field goal kicker that's going to gain a heck of a lot of confidence after a 7-for-7 performance. We've seen how many times with these Jet teams, whether it's down the stretch uh, with John Hall back during that uh, final game against the Oakland Raiders, I think during the 2002 season, if I'm not mistaken, making that 53-yard field goal to send the Jets to the playoffs. I mean, you know, those are the type of players and the type of plays and the razor-thin margin that it takes between teams that are sitting home in January or are playing in playoff football. So for the Jets to have a reliable kicking option for the first time really since Nick Folk left the team, that has to put uh, Todd Bowles' mind at ease and at least give Sam Darnold a security blanket if the Jets aren't able to convert a lot of these scoring chances into touchdowns. Very true, Rick. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for the Jets podcast review show on 247sports.com. The New York Jets defeating the Indianapolis Colts by final of 42-34, to and they will now finish up that three-game homestand against the Minnesota Vikings next Sunday on October 21st. For Rick Lachlan, I'm Daniel Feuerstein. This has been the Jets Podcast Review Show on 247sports.com through blogtalkradio.com. We will talk to you on Friday to preview Week 7 against Minnesota. So long, take care, and bye-bye for now.